Well, here we are. Here we are. Here we are in December 2020. Thank God. Oh, craziness. When will it be over? I've got my little list of my summer holiday bits and pieces oh, ready to go. I've been yeah, saving right. a few things. Yeah, me too. Um, one of which is the crown. Ah, sorry. <laughs> I just like, I just spaffed that. <laughs> spaffed. Look, spaff is the word, it's the worst verb, right? And there was a bit of a debate about spaff in the UK this year because, um, the brilliant Marina Hyde uses it all the time. What does it mean exactly? Well, I think it's sort of, it sort of means to blow, it basically means to blow your load. So there is a certain, <sighs> you know, there is a ejaculatory <laughs> popular meaning attached to it, right? And that's certainly the way that she uses that. And as you can imagine, Marina, bless her, using it in the Boris Johnson context could be talking about anything usually um, and, you know, <laughs> half the time she is talking about the um, shocking interpretation. But anyway, um, Boris Johnson himself used it in a um, press conference a few months back and then there was this immediate like, wow, that's inappropriate language for a prime minister oh. to be using. So anyway, um, in, the, in the context of this conversation, uh, I'm talking about having absolutely just guts the entire Crown series um, and now it's gone so I can't watch it <laughs> over Christmas. So I'm jealous of you for that. Did you like it? I loved it. Oh, great. Okay. See, the thing about The Crown is, I mean, it does the same thing that it does every series where, you know, I've got to schedule a certain amount of time to watch the episode and then about 20 minutes for Googling, Googling afterwards. Yeah, you know, right. Like, holy, did that really happen? Right. And... So, and as you know, there's this sort of debate at the moment about whether the crown should be labelled as fiction because there's heaps of stuff that's made up. Right. But look, this new series, the other big treat about the crown, of course, is that every new, every series there's new actors to be yeah. excited about. And I, okay, I don't know, am I, did you know that Gillian Anderson is mm. married to Peter Morgan, who's the showrunner of the no, crown? I did right, not. See, I didn't know that either. No. And um, when Jeremy told me, I immediately felt a bit dumb that I didn't know that, um, but Anyway, imagine being married to Gillian Anderson and making this incredible show and just warehousing Gillian Anderson for like four <laughs> series, three series. But I heard, I mean, as I say, I haven't watched it, but I have heard she's an awesome Margaret Thatcher. She is an unbelievable Thatcher. Great. And you know how with series that reflect real life events, sometimes when they cast actors that look like the real-life people, it gives it a sort of made-for-television vibe. Like, yeah. I, I always think that if – I always feel like if the person looks too much like the real-life person, as a viewer I go, yeah, did you just cast them because of the uncanny resemblance and are they now going to be a sort of average actor that's being cast only because of their appearance? And, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you could never say that for Gillian Anderson, right? Like, I mean, I don't think she's got any other jobs because of her nascent – kind of resemblance to Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> and in fact, it's, looking at her, you would never think, oh, that woman's a dead ringer for Margaret Thatcher. But her capacity to secure the mannerisms of Thatcher is just mind-blowing. It's like when we saw, I think you were sitting next to me at this. Was it you sitting next to me at Mark Colvin's kidney at Belvoir Street? Yes, I'm glad that our conversation was so memorable to you. <laughs> because I remember when John Howard, who was yeah. playing Mark Colvin, came out. I mean, he doesn't particularly look like Colvin. There's a certain, I guess, physical similarity that they're white Both men of guys, a certain yeah. age, tall guys. Um, when he... It wasn't so much the voice, although his voice did sound like Colvin's. It was the mannerisms. I think I, yeah. like, I like audibly gasped at one point and yeah, looked at you because it was just I like. I remember. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. No, <laughs> it was enough. just like, oh, my God, he is like embodying this person and he's doing stuff that is 
so cold. It was like it was yeah. just chillingly uncanny. And he didn't really, as I say, look like him in the face or anything, but he just embodied him really accurately. And and what Julian Anderson has just absolutely nailed is that she kind of sucks her teeth like Thatcher used to. She's got this emphatic sort of shake of the head. She's completely uptight. Her jaw is clenched and jutted out throughout. I mean, she must have had to have some sort of physical therapy afterwards because everything, you know how Thatcher's sort of neck and jaw were always super rigid? Yeah. And... That's what she absolutely nails. I can't. It's an unbelievable performance. And, of course, um, uh, the chap who plays... Um, oh, Charles. God, jo- Josh O'Connor, who plays Charles, is just shockingly like Prince Charles. And is he? He's the guy who was in Charles in the last season yes, as well? Yes, he is, yeah. yeah. And, and that constant thing about, you know, holding his hands behind his back and hands in the pockets. And right. All of this sort of sort of super diffident kind of classic Prince Charles body language he's got absolutely nailed down. Right. And, of course, this series is where um, Lady Diana Spencer um, appears. She's played by Emma Corrin and her resemblance to... Diana is um, really quite remarkable. Um, Physically. Yeah, really. Yeah, she starts off with a huge advantage in that she really physically looks like her um, and is – does a super job as well. So Mm. it just ticks all around really. Did you like um, it more more or less than the last season? (sighs) I think because this one's more recent – I didn't learn as much from this one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, God, I was a kid when um, Princess Diana got married and, you know, all of that. But um, I think I'm getting less of the, what? That one? What? But I, um, I'm really liking the inclusion of Thatcher and um, I didn't know this about The Crown either, but it's actually based on, a, I think, a stage show that, um, Joshua, that um, Peter Morgan wrote and it was called something like The Audience or something. So originally the whole model was that it was a series of conversations that the Queen has with the Prime Ministers because, you know, she's oh, burned through so yeah, many Prime Ministers. Right. And That's actually great. looking back across the series, it's true that some of the most transfixing scenes are the ones in that same drawing room where the queen leans over and dings the donger and in comes the yeah. prime minister and like some of them are crying some of them are angry some of them are repentant some of them are couple that've just been sacked which is what happens of course in this series with with Thatcher and it is this weird almost therapy session and she says to Thatcher who's when she first arrives um like early in the series and her son, Mark Thatcher, is missing in the desert. He was on some rally car racing expedition and went missing for like a week or something. Mm. And she bursts into tears in front of the Queen and says, I can't, you know, and she's so mortified that of all the prime ministers, she would be the first one to cry in front of the monarch. And as the first woman, she just resents that because she can't bear women and thinks that they're useless and weak. Right. (laughs) She also mentions at some point, oh, my God. Anyway, um, and the Queen says, oh, don't worry, you know, I've seen some pretty shocking things in here. (laughs) (laughs) Crying tantrums. (laughs) Anyway, so I find, yeah, and in the, um, oh, God, this series, I guess it must be the first series when... 
I think the scenes with Churchill are some of the most affecting. Oh, and yeah, so that was excellent. Yeah. It makes sense that that's the backbone of the series. Anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm. Yeah, I ask just because I think just people that I've talked to about the last series, I think a lot of people found it a bit of a hump to get used to the new cast because, you, oh, you know. I you... love that. It's like a new box of chocolates every series. Oh, okay. I'm, so, you know, I, you know, I, I. I've mourned the loss of some of the characters, but um, I'm super happy with Olivia Coleman, by the way. She's just... um, Yeah, well, the last season I found a little bit of a hump to get into it and then by about halfway through then I thought it was really fantastic. The episode where Prince Philip goes to the men's group. Oh, yeah. It was a fantastic episode. Um, Anyway, I've just been saving it for a Christmas holiday. Look, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I figured so. You won't regret it. My... um, Watching, reading, everything actually since we last recorded a pod, I feel like has really typified my pattern of this year, mm. which is um, crying, reading, zero crying concentration, reading. yeah, <laughs> zero concentration. So, I, so what happens is I watch something or I start something, and yeah. then I just by the next day I just forget I've even watched it. So, yeah. for example, I watched um, there's a thing on ABC iView at the moment called Roadkill, which I'm told is quite good with Hugh Laurie. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah I mean. He's, I've- Noticed it. Seen it there. Uh, he's a politician who's sort of – see, this is this is the level of my concentration. Uh, he's a politician. There's a woman in jail who thinks she's his daughter. So I watched one episode. I thought, yeah, that was pretty good. I'll watch on. From the next day, forgot that, that I'd even watched it. And then about a week later I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I watched one episode of that show. What was it about again? And so that's been just constantly what's happening. I've watched also one episode of a thing called Cobra Kai. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. We need to talk about that because Jeremy made me watch an episode. I think Jeremy's watched the whole thing. Uh, And it is a show with the most ludicrously hilarious premise, which is? Which is. um, So the film Karate Kid, which I am sort of, I've got, I'm quite emotionally attached to it because it was a favourite of mine when we were children. Um, It was your Highland dancing motivation. Yep. So um, we... We used to watch it all the time and so the premise of this show is the two kids at the end who you remember who were having the fight, the blonde yeah. guy is the sort of the baddie and yeah. Ralph Macchio, um, they're now grown-ups and they're sort of in their late 40s and Ralph Macchio's a used car dealer and he seems to be a bit of an ass. and the other guy's just down and out and he's like and he's still a bit haunted by having his ass yeah. kicked in that final round With where Daniel's son yeah. does the crane. Um, but, you know, funnily enough, when, they, when they're replaying that sequence at the start, of course, like I'm just crying immediately <laughs> from the nostalgia from childhood. You watching with your kids? No, I just watched it by myself. Right. wasn't sure if it would be age appropriate yeah. for them. Anyway, it's the dialogue's really ordinary. It's really mediocre. But I sort of like. I, I don't mind the premise of picking those characters up later. I love the premise, but is it a like? Is it a one shot? You know, well, God, we've got these guys. They're both available. Yeah, uh, it is. We've got to do something. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe it'll get Justin, um, my EP of seven thirty, watched it and and he liked it. Right. Yeah, and I watched. Jeremy's really like. Yeah. I think he watched the whole thing. Okay, so I, but again, like everything else, I just watched one episode and then a week later was like, oh yeah, that's right. I started watching that Cobra Kai show. I've completely forgot about it. So what I've done because I think my concentration's shot, like just about everyone's this year. All I'm just doing is rewatching stuff I've already watched and, and mindless stuff like yeah. Weeds. Like, did you yeah. watch Weeds? Yeah, yeah, I love Weeds. Yeah, so I'm just watching Weeds, um, and just and then it doesn't matter if I forget that I've watched it or not. Do you know what? Not, I fine. think that's a perfectly respectable thing to do. Okay. I think it is. I mean, everything this year doesn't I make reckon. for a thrilling podcast, though. Oh, it's something. It's about like a, just well, look, a woman. Doll, I think you've been massively interesting already. Okay, <laughs> I'm hanging on your every word. Um, listen, just on the topic of generally, you know getting to the end of this bullshit year. Mm. I've got to say one thing that massively cheered me up this week oh, was yes. the arrival of 
Nat's What I Reckon. Oh, I love book. Can I have a look. Have God, I love Nat's What I Reckon. So, like, he was one of the just giant stars of 2020, I reckon. I completely agree. So, not only hugely funny, um, massively profane, of course, if you're planning to tune in with the kiddies, maybe don't. Um, so, he's just done lockdown cooking because he's, he's an inveterate opponent of jar sauce. And he's just stupidly funny. He does, he's a comedian, musician. General legend. But he also does very funny videos on YouTube. His series on why do Toyota Camrys always have a tissue box in the back window is just <laughs> probably the thing that made me just out of control cry laugh. It's so random but so good. <laughs> but he also he did a really great – I've talked about this on the podcast before. He did a really great video about, hey, are you suffering from depression? Well, guess what? Stop kicking yourself around. Like it's just a message about, you know, anything that you can do makes you a legend, mate. Because Oh, I think it, he's I he's, think he's an excellent role model. I think yeah. he, he's so positive. He makes you feel good when you watch his videos. Yes. You come away from it and you feel like he makes you feel encouraged. Yeah. He makes you feel like no matter how um just basic whatever you're doing is that that's all right. You're a legend. So you're a legend. Let me yeah. read you a little bit so about positive. the intro because yeah. it's 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 I haven't um read past the intro yet because I really only just got it. Also, but I'm really looking forward to it over the holidays. Well you find that also you have a look at his face when he does a video. He is a because it gets a bit buried because he's got long hair and he's got yeah. a lot of tats and stuff. He has got the most beautiful looking yes, face. Yes, he's a very, he's very good looking incredibly man. looking, good looking guy. And he's got very kind eyes, Yeah, I think. Future Mrs. Sales. <laughs> Mr. Sales. He's got a girlfriend. Oh, he's got, yeah. And, and she he's seemed, 25 years younger than me. Yes. Okay. All right. He says, I call this an unhelpful self-help book because I'm sure as hell not going to be, not trying to be the next self-professed life coach who's going to transform your life despite never having met you. And to be honest, I'm still a bit messed up myself. I reckon the whole self-help business is often a load of bullshit carry on that doesn't take into consideration your history or personality. That's why I avoid it like jar sauce. <laughs> That's not to say they can't help some people, but usually self-help books make a better frisbee than they do a therapist. I don't trust anything that makes people feel like a bloody winner one minute and then like a massive loser three weeks later when they're not managing to keep up with the ridiculous expectations that some self-help gronk has set them. <laughs> Rest assured, I'm not here to try to fix your wagon. Just have a yarn with you. Really, I just want to take the piss out of a bunch of stupid shit, share a few stories and recipes, and hopefully chip in for a couple of laughs. <laughs> oh, that's great. He's just oh, I love him. I the just, greatest. I could not love that dude. My hero of 2020. More. I, I agree. Among many. While you're reading stuff aloud, mm. can I? I'll read something aloud as well. Okay. Also from something that I retained no detail of. Yeah. <laughs> I just folded the page down. I read one bit. I thought, oh, I won't even remember that that exists, so I better fold the page oh, down so I can remember love. it. Um, it's by Zadie Smith. I, it, I picked it up. It's called Intimation Six Essays. I picked because it up because it's, it's 10 tiny. pages long. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. At about a tenth of it. I'm just going to uh, take a notes. picture of you handing up the book that is big enough to contain your I'll put my hand of, next to it for hand. Yeah. This is how big the books that sales feels like he's just able to take <laughs> to up. Go. Oh, love. So it's basically, but I mean, I'm <laughs> suggesting that Zadie Smith is potentially suffering from the same issue because all she can dish up is not a full length book. It's like, yeah, you know, 70, like, 70 pages yeah, of random thoughts, my haiku. Right? <laughs> 70 Doesn't pages even have of... a weather element in it. <laughs> exactly. It'll do. 70 pages of random thoughts. You are enough, Zadie Smith. <laughs> You're a champion. You're an effing champion, Zadie Legend. Smith. Um, it's sort of about just, it's just sort of, look, I don't know what it is. None of it stuck with me. It's just, it's just. It's just well, this is promising. 
Sadie's cooking, like Sadie's shopping list. It's just from me. It's just musings about being alive in 2020, really. Anyway, this this bit stuck with me and made me laugh, um, and I thought it was true. Around the same time I read that news story, blah, 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 I was sent a meme that made me laugh out loud, a photograph of Mel Gibson in a director's chair, calmly talking to Jesus Christ himself. She thought it's from The Passion of the Christ. Right. She, uh, it, so Mel as director's talking to Jesus Christ. Jesus, also in a director's chair, was patiently listening while soaked from head to toe in blood and wearing his crown of thorns. The caption read, explaining to my friends with kids under six what it's been like isolating alone. <laughs> As a rule of social etiquette, when confronted with a pixelated screen of a dozen people, all of them inquiring somewhat half-heartedly as to how you are, it's appropriate to make the expected, decent and accurate claim that you are fine and privileged, lucky compared to so many others, inconvenienced, yes, melancholy often, but not suffering. Mel Gibson, but not Christ. Even Christ, 20 feet in the air and bleeding all over himself, no doubt looked about him and wondered whether his agonies, when all was said and done, were relatively speaking, in fact, better than those of the thieves and beggars to his left and right, whose suffering long predated their present crucifixions and who had no hope, unlike Christ, of an improved post-cross situation. But when the bad day, but when the bad day in your week finally arrives and it comes to all, by which I mean that particular moment when your sufferings, as puny as they may be in the wider scheme of things, direct themselves absolutely and only to you, as if precisely designed to destroy you and only you, at that point it might be worth allowing yourself the admission of the reality of suffering, if not for yourself exactly, then in preparation for that next painful bout of video conferencing, so that you don't roll your eyes or laugh or puke while listening to what some other person <laughs> seems to think is pain. <laughs> oh, God, that is sensational. I know. How good is that? I'll forget it immediately, but in this moment, in this goldfish in the pond moment, I'm really enjoying that. Oh, she just nailed it. I just love oh. the idea of Christ on the cross looking to the left and the well, right as he bleeds not as bad as Barabbas. Goes, at least I'm going to have a better post-cross existence. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Oh, man. Everybody just needs to forgive themselves at the end of this year, I reckon. I think so. Yeah. Hey, do you know what I did start watching on the weekend? So, therefore, it is fresh. And it is in my memory. Something you told me to watch ages ago, which I haven't got around to. Cheer. Oh! Yes. On Netflix, is a documentary yeah. about kids in a school in Texas who are part of a cheer squad preparing for the National Cheerleading Championships. Oh, it's really good. It's frightening. Recommend it for a holiday watch, actually. Yeah. yeah. And um, I've watched with my kids. Um, like there's one or two sort of grown-up-ish themes that emerge, like there's a drug issue that one of them is having, I think, at some point. But Do you know, generally it is, um, I mean, I watched it with my 10-year-old and 13-year-old. So. I have a bit of a state of anxiety watching it all the time oh, for course, fearing yeah. they're going to drop somebody. Well, and, and, and then they, and they do, and yeah. then you hear the thud of kids hitting the floor and it's like chilling. Well, yeah. Do you know where that... Cheering is the most, is the sport in the US that generates the most catastrophic Spinal injuries. Not surprised. Mm. Do you know where the feeling came back to me the other day? We went to see Pippin. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Which yeah. is the first musical theatre back in Sydney. <clears throat> you were sitting one person away from me. Hey, at least you remember that this time. Exactly. Um, the they, There's a lot of trapeze and sort of acrobatic stunts in that and I spent the whole time thinking, they're going to get dropped, they're going to get dropped, they're going to get dropped. Oh, yeah, particularly when there's when it's Carrie ann Kenley dancing yeah, around. Yeah, goodness, wow. it was amazing. A lot was... more cack than you've ever seen in your life in that show. There's a uh, sequence clearly choreographed by Bob Fosse of three dancers, the woman who's the lead and two others, and um, 
I felt like oh, it was, yeah. yeah, when they're mincing down the stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's, it's just, it's just... got all the fossy. It's got the hat with the oh. fingertips on it and, the, you know, it's just yeah. uh, the canes. Worth the, the price of Yeah, absolutely. You know, but in general, it. like it's just, it's a, it's a stage-filling experience. And I think, oh, yeah. geez, you feel absolutely hungry for that at this end mm. of this year. Just even the the feeling of being in a theatre that's, you know, almost full of people. and Yeah, you know, that of... was great. I loved being, like it felt like. Luxury. Hey, speaking of being in a theatre full of people, I'm going to see in a couple of weeks, and I know you have already seen it, the picture of Dorian Gray at the Sydney Theatre Company. Okay. It is um, one of the very few pieces of theatre I've seen this year, and it is the greatest piece of theatre I've seen in I don't know how long. Wow. absolutely amazing. So, I mean, the degree of difficulty in this show is off the charts, right? Like, so... The picture of Dorian Gray is, I think, Wilde's only novel, right? It's not a play. And Kip Williams from the Sydney Theatre Company has written it as a play. So, like, it's right. kind of – it's that is a big deal anyway. I mean, imagine yeah, I'm not quite sure creating how you do it. an yeah. Oscar Wilde play. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all pulled together from dialogue from the novel. But imagine having to just make sure that you write, like, Oscar Wilde for oh. two hours. But know? I can't even remember um, – I mean, it's been a while since I've read that novel, but I love it. Um, I can't even remember who any of the other characters are except for Dorian Gray. Oh, right. Well, there's the artist. Right. There's the um, Sir Henry Wotton, who's the sort of um, posh friend who you know, kind of falls in love with Dorian. They're all a bit in love with Dorian. Oh, And then yeah, there's okay. the girls, Sybil. Oh, that, yeah. That he yeah, falls okay, in love right. with and then I'm getting it mixed up with the importance of being honest because I'm thinking, what about Lady Brackle? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's 24 characters in this okay. book, which I couldn't remember that there were, there were that many, but it's including, you know, sort of posh aunties and society ladies that drop in for tea and then there's um, the housekeeper and then there's a there's the sister of the woman that he does the wrong thing by and so on. So there's quite a cast and in this production, and this is the other thing that made me nervous before I went to see it because I thought, A, writing like Oscar Wilde, okay, big call, B, every single character in the play is played by Erin Jean Norville. So, I mean, 24 characters, that's a lot. If you're wondering why do I know the name Erin Jean Norville, she's the woman who, through no fault of her own, managed to find herself having to front up in court um, to address questions of the conduct of Geoffrey Rush in a production at the Sydney Theatre Company because he sued the Daily Telegraph for defamation. Yep. And uh, she got implicated yeah. in that. And she had made some complaints to the company and then that information without her permission wound up in the hands of the Daily Telegraph, yep. which published the story without her permission or sanction. Yep. And so she is the classic case, I reckon, um, along with our colleague Caitlin Raper, of a woman Ashley who's, Raper, do you oh, Sorry, know? God. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Ash Raper. Um she is a woman who, alongside our colleague Ash Raper, um, I reckon, is the poster girl for having the power taken out of her hands to respond to a situation that <clears throat> happened to her without, also without her consent, right? Mm. Which is, I just makes me so angry that those things happen. Mm. Um, and so she's a woman who has not had the autonomy to speak when she wants to speak, you know. So I was super pleased to see um, the Sydney Theatre Company, you know, consciously recruiting and featuring this woman. Right. But 
all of that kind of thinking just completely evaporates when you see her in this show. Like I have never seen an actor do anything like this, right? Right. So she plays all these characters. There's um, four cameras on stage that are just sort of rolling around and she sometimes is speaking into a camera that then is projected on about six uh screens that are up above the stage and that also move around. So it's the most extraordinary set and she is both interacting with the set and interacting with herself in pre-recorded segments. There is this amazing dinner party scene where she walks in and takes a seat at the end of the table and there's a big screen behind the table and she is having lunch with six versions of herself, you know, six other characters all played by her. Mm. And she interacts with them. It's incredibly in- intricate. I don't know how that woman's brain oh, is just... keeping track of all of this stuff at the same time. It I, is. I feel like I'm just going to be marvelling when I see it. I mean, I just, like, the precision required timing-wise to execute that. Because yep. once all... you put play on any of those yep. things, then there's no... Right, there's no wiggle room. Total highway. And she's got to remember which um, camera to address at every step and she's got to be in exactly the right place. She, It's not all her interacting with video versions of herself too. She will, um, in plenty of scenes where there's, say, three characters, she will play all three characters at the same time. Um, <laughs> and she'll do that by, you know, picking up a paintbrush when she's the artist. There's um, this great scene with the artist and Dorian and Lord Henry Wooten and Dorian is sort of wearing a wig, the artist is carrying a paintbrush, Henry Wooten is smoking a cigarette. So as she changes, like there's just um, the crew also are just absolutely spot on in their timing. They're on the stage with her, handing her things, helping her on with a wig and off with a wig. And so she does high-speed costume changes that are massively convincing. I don't know. It is like one of the most ambitious things I've ever seen attempted on stage and it's nailed. So I walked out of there thinking um, that is just something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Oh, man. Um, mm. that, um, it's funny, isn't it, when you – did you wake up the next morning and feel like – Wow, what even was that? You know, you sometimes have yep. that feeling when you see something. I had a meal recently um, at a Japanese restaurant called Kuon in Sydney. Oh, is this one that's got about two seats and you've got a like eight? Yeah, yeah eight seats. Um, and it's just it's you don't pick; they just dishing in front of you whatever mm-hmm. is up. And there's like about twenty five separate, just like bite sized things that come out. And it's it's not for um, you've got to be you've got to be prepared to just eat what gets put in front of you, right? right okay. So if you don't like raw sea urchin, yep, forget don't, about it. don't go. Yep. Um, but it was... Do you like raw sea urchin? I like adventures and experience. So, right. yep. Um, I, and I did like the, the sea urchin actually. Um, but you, every single thing I put in my mouth was unbelievable. It was so delicious. And just watching um, also the chefs and oh, their Oh, so you're watching all this happening. Oh, it was amazing. And... Um, I just I woke up the next day and I just was like, what even was that? That was that was unbelievable. It was just it was incredible. Just their precision and the beauty of what they're putting on the plate and the sort of simplicity of it, but also the complexity, but sort of pulled right down to its simplest elements. Like it's just really hard to explain, but it just blew my mind. There should be is there a word for the pleasure that you get from watching somebody at the top of their game just oh, doing something there brilliantly? Be. There must be. There's probably a bloody German word for it, isn't there? But, like, I, that's what I felt like after um, 
the picture of Dorian Gray, I just thought, I've just seen a human just be unbelievably good at their job. And it was so, yeah, I don't know, life-affirming. It's, it ex- just... it's exhilarating. The thing that amazes, amazes me too is how when you're watching someone who's got real mastery at something, that it, how easy it looks yeah. and you just know that that's, that's a level. It looks like they're brushing their teeth yeah. because it's just so natural, whatever yeah. they're doing, um, the look of it. I mean, that's where you know it's... You know, I hate to bring it back to basketball yet again, but um, <laughs> bring Larry, it back to basketball. Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> um, just my brother sent me. I think I've talked about this in the pod before. Some clips because I asked him after I watched the Michael Jordan thing why why is Larry Bird so famous? Yeah. And he said, "Just watch this video," and it was all like bird sinking baskets. Oh my god! It was just like I can't even explain. It, it was like watching water. It was just yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Love that this is where I'm at at the end of 2020. Oh, back, to basketball, just, back to basketball. Back to basketball. But also just one final word. The, yes. the other thing that I found exhilarating about that show was just like Erin Jean Norville just replying to every – well, I don't think oh, it was yeah. a reply, but, you know, imagine the satisfaction of just your response being, okay, here's me being amazing for well, two hours. that's always the best right? response, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, as your mother says. Yeah, it's always the best. <laughs> Always the best response is to just, you know, show what a legend you are. Yeah. Um, And so good on it. Yep. Um, Before we run out of time, um, I did read one thing that I read from start to finish and did it properly and it held my interest, which is Helen Garner's new book, Unsurprisingly. Okay, I'm saying that. Her new diary. It's called One Day I'll Remember This. It's the next instalment of her diary. I think (gasps) it covers from about 1985 to, or maybe 1986 or 7 to about 1994 or 5. Okay. Okay. it's, I think you said this about the last one, um, It's um, but I thought this one even more so. It's amazing how, because it's a diary, it's a series of unrelated observations often, but a narrative emerges. So she's in uh, a relationship with V um, and... Oh, yeah, I've been interesting to... I've been waiting for the next instalment with V. Yeah, and uh, you, I was all the time getting home from work and just going, right, now what's going on with V? And so it... it it hooks you in like a like a plot, even though there it's not a plot. But it's amazing how this shape sort of just comes emerges. Out of it. Yeah. Also, I found well, I think I told you when I read the Yellow Notebook a year ago, I was had some really bad news about an unwell family mm. member who um, has got that all clear recently. Oh my god, amazing! That yeah. is incredible, given um, where that was at. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was so grief stricken that I just couldn't read anything that was joined up, and I felt. Actually, that was the only thing that I could read because it was just these, just collection of insights that kind of conveyed a sense of how life goes up and down and how things are survivable and mm. yeah. Anyway, um, maybe that's why I could just read it when I can't concentrate well, I on anything with the thing. Yeah, same. because it yeah. is disjointed, but it allows you to find the pattern at your own pace or not really or yeah, not. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, good and, point. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, sorry, I've um, just finished a book that I've been reading for a little bit called Americana mm-hmm. by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, and I'm late to this one because he was actually at the Sydney Writers' Festival um, when the Sydney Writers' Festival was last on. Geez, it's a beautiful book. It's mm-hmm. um, this sort of saga, I guess, of these um, two young lovers, um, Ifemelu and Obinze, who meet in Nigeria and then Ifemelu goes to the States. It's about her adventures in the States. It's funny so piercing, totally gripping. Um, I'm late to it, as I say, but um, absolutely loved it. Excellent. Okay. Um, and the other thing is a kid's book, actually, weirdly, that I've been reading to Kate mm. called 
powerful princesses, 10 unsold, untold stories of history's boldest heroines. Oh, cool. Now, um, I'm a bit of a fan of the kind of like rebel girls pattern. Um, I particularly like this one because these chicks are just amazing and it's really nicely written with beautiful, beautiful illustrations as well. So Ooh, my um, nearly eight-year-old is getting straight into it. I reckon your boys would get it too, actually. Well, you it's, know, I was looking actually, but it can't. There's nothing cheesy, but they're awesome, awesome princesses and beautiful. Well, they're not really princesses. Oh, yeah, yeah. they are gorgeous illustrations, aren't yeah. they? Um, and they're just long enough for a good bedtime story. My six-year-old absolutely is in love with Cats, which is so funny because oh, I so love Cats. Good. And so does my, not Cats the musical, Cats yeah, as the in book, the, animals. The, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. What did you think oh, of it? I thought you meant the T.S. Eliot collection <laughs> no, of poems. No, I meant the actual animal, <laughs> right. Cats. Well, you should, I mean, the, the T.S. Eliot book of poems yeah, is ab- actually It's brilliant. Like, fantastic. I agree. Um, anyway, he, there's a book about, like, in the Rebel Girls mould, about cats, about heroic cats. No. Yeah, but it couldn't get delivered before Christmas, oh, so no. I'm trying to find it somewhere else. Um, all right. Well, I can see that I'm missing a, ma- a million messages from oh, my God, executive right. producer. And okay. he'll be like, what are you doing? Wasting time with Annabelle Crab, I guess. Yeah, and so as usual. I better get onto it. Apologies all round. Now sod off.